Thank you for joining us this week. We are currently in the book of Jeremiah as we go through our two-year reading plan. If you want to follow along in our two-year reading plan, you can find that on our website, www.cobblestonechurch.com. While you're there, you can also submit prayer requests and needs that you may have. We would love to pray for you. Enjoy the message. I love prayer Sundays because I feel like we already have church before we get to the Word of God. And then after we preach the Word of God, then we're going to go right back to where pretty much we started, which is response to His Word and praying for each other and worshiping. And then we actually soft close now for here till forever, which means we won't actually say goodbye at the end of this. We'll just start worshiping. And then you leave when you feel like you need to. Uh, but we want to do that because we want to worship until no one's left in the room. We want to worship God as long as possible. So grab a Bible. Go to Jeremiah chapter 32 is where we're at today. If you don't have a Bible, there's some along the wall. I really want you in a Bible. We're in a reading plan on purpose, and that's not to be boring or regimented. Uh, I, I, I picture it like going on dates with my wife. I put that on a calendar. A reading plan helps me put a date and a time and a place. on a, I, I'm going to go there every day because I want to meet with my king. And there's one consuming thought for me most of my life. I want to know God. I want to know him. Anybody else want to know God? And I hope that's the cry of your heart. I want to know him. I don't want to know about him. I want to walk with him. I want to, he walks with me and he talks with me. Like I, want to, I want to sing that old hymn and I want to live it. And when I go to scripture every morning, that's my goal. Not to memorize some facts, not to brush up on my Greek. That's a nerdy glass push if you didn't know what that was. That's, I, don't, I don't want to be, be about, I want to be about him. And as we get into today, that's exactly what I feel like we're supposed to do. Make God as big as he is. Make God the center of your attention. Stare at him. Don't look at you. So if we look at God, I think it infuses the people of God when they know who their God is with faith, with a courage. When you make God small, and we did a whole series on this a couple years ago. I'm not going to do that series again. But basically, we like a God that's just a slightly better, bigger version of us. So he's just a little more intelligent, a little more powerful, but that way we can control him. But if you put God where he actually is in scripture, how big he is, how holy he is, how awesome and wise and powerful and everywhere he is, you, it, it, your circuit's kind of like, I can't, I can't comprehend. You can't comprehend. We could sit here for the next seven days and just talk about what God is like, and we still wouldn't even scratch the surface. When you get to heaven, the number one primary activity is going to be staring, beholding, and learning about God. There will never be a moment where you hit his ceiling and go, oh, I figured him out. You're not going to get there. So everybody in here, by the end of this sermon, I'm going to tell you my goals. You should feel a little small. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You should feel small. You should be in awe of the holiness and grandeur of God, and then you should trust him on a level. I just, I just need a big old step into trusting God. If God's small, why trust him? If God has the whole world in his hands, I'll trust everything he, thing he tells me to do. Why am I into songs today? I don't know. So in Jeremiah chapter 32, uh, you have the prophet Jeremiah. We've been in this book for about three weeks now. We'll be in it again next week. We'll actually be in the Psalms next week. Uh, and we're just kind of going through the Old Testament. And the prophets are all do one thing. They warn the people of God to return their hearts to the Lord. That's all they do on repeat. And I want to keep saying that's actually showing off what God's like. 
God warns. God has a heart of a father that goes, I'm going to tell my kids, stop it. Have you ever met a parent that refuses to tell their kids, stop it? What kind of kids are those? Don't answer out loud. They're, they're just not good kids, right? Because something goes wrong when the human race does not have boundaries or a good discipline. We need to be told, hey, stop that. Don't go over there. That will kill you. A bad parent's like, I know Johnny, but sticking that fork in that light plug, that'll hurt. A bad parent's like, eh, see what happens. Right? Right? So a good father sends prophets, puts his spirit on them, and says, warn them. Warn them that their hearts are far from me. Warn them that they can still come back to me. Warn them that the thing they think is going to lead them to life is not and tell them to return to the Lord their God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. If they do, I'll have them. But he tells them because he's God, you're not going to. You're going to be like an unfaithful wife or husband. You're married to me, but you're cheating on me. This is the language of the prophets. And here's what I've learned uh, about this language, uh, about God, about holiness, about like return. I, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible, this thing you have in your hand, it actually lays weight on every area of your life. The God of the Bible is not hiding what he wants for you. He has declared to humanity and went through a lot of painstaking things in history to make this book a reality so you could read, what's God think about marriage? It's in here. What's God think about a sexual ethic for humanity? It's in here. Did he say sex in church? I did. Uh, like, what does God think about anger, lust, greed, kings, heaven and earth? What does God think about it? It's in here. So if you're ever wondering, what is God's demands for my life? They're, they're right here. And you know who gets to do that? God does. You don't get to establish what's good and right for humanity. God does. God gets to do that. And so today we're kind of like, kind of confronted with those, those ideas. And, and there's this word that goes with God, with no matter what characteristic you're talking about. Uh, and, it, and it's just the word holy. And when we talk about holy and the standard of God, I don't think anybody walked in here a little bit cocky, like, I hit that standard perfectly this week. Anybody? Anybody hitting 100, 100%, 10 out of 10, nailed it? Anybody? Right? So we, we kind of know that God has a standard, and we also know we don't hit it. But I think that when we look at that, it makes us nervous, as, as if God's mad at us. So when we, when we start with us, we get wrong. When you put you in the center of the universe, everything's wrong. Start with God, then work your way out. What's God like? And I hope you can name a lot of things. What's he like? What's he, what's he like? Not even like what's his character, but what's God like on the earth? What are things he likes in you? What are things he hates? What are things that displeases him? What are things that make him frown? And you're like, why are you asking these questions about God? Well, like, if you have a mom or dad, what makes them smile? What makes them frown? What makes dad really mad? You're like, I know. I know what makes him mad, right? And, and so in the same way, I, I think we, we've, we've impersonalized God, but God is a personal God who makes covenant with people. And he goes, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This will lead to life. This will lead to death. Choose. 
which should also boggle your mind that God, the God of heaven and earth says, choose. And so when we talk about God, I, I have my whole life, this is a really long setup to Jeremiah, my whole life there's been three things that have been said about God. They're the three omnis. And anybody know them? Just come on Sunday school kids. Yep, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Gold star for you if you're an A-plus kind of student, you did it, okay? Now those words, they mean things and they're big and they're weighty, except we can't understand any of them because we're humans. So if I say God is omnipotent, I don't know why I did it that way, but it felt right, didn't it? Omnipotent. Uh, that means he's all-powerful. All the power, all full of power. Like you can just break down all the words. God has all of it, which means he's not lacking in any of it. There is not lacking strength in the arm of God. He's powerful. And when he speaks, life happens. This is our God. He has all the power in all the earth. And I think one of the schemes of Satan in this day and age is to try to convince us, does he really? Is he really that powerful? The second one, omniscient. What's that one mean? It's probably, no, it's not, because that's on the fritz. If anybody knows technology, help us. Uh, omniscient means all-knowing. Now, there's some smart people in this room. Oh, thanks, Andrew, but you're not that smart. I don't care how many degrees you have, you're not all-knowing. And this one boggles us. This one struggles. Well, if God knows everything, why doesn't he do something about that? We're going to talk about it today. But God knows. And that's one of the most freeing concepts on the planet. If God knows everything about you, if God knows how wicked you are or how you struggled this week, you don't have to hide from him. You don't have to clean it up to come to him because he's like, child, I know. I know how you're bent. I know how you lusted. I know how you got angry at mom and dad this week. I know. That's, woo, amazing. So omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Now this one should just make us like our brains fold on itself. He is everywhere, all the wares, at the same time. You understand? Me either. I don't. And you can start to even like logically try to get your brain around it, but you won't, and you don't. Inside all these concepts, the deeper you get into God, the more awe it should produce, the more humility it should produce, the more, okay, I think when he tells me go this way, I'll do it. Because he might know a little bit more than me. He's definitely more powerful than me. And if he's everywhere at the same time, all places, he's He's really aware of what humanity is doing. There's another idea about God. God, like you and I, what time is it? 11.28. What time is it in God's realm? You don't know, do you? Ha! I don't either. So, that is just a bro, like, ha, 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 I don't know. There's this concept, like all these things about God, when you understand them, produce worship, produce trust, produce faith. We are inside time. We will be out of here in like the next 20 minutes. God is outside of time. He's not bound by it. So like tomorrow is not an idea in God's mind that he's waiting for. It's a place that he is. What? 
I know, now we're getting into like interdimensionals and like, I don't know what's going on. But that's the beauty of the God that we serve. So in 20 years, when that tragedy hits your life, who's already aware of it? God is. And he will be there to lead you through it with all his power and all his might and all his wisdom. God will be. See, when I learned all these things, I kind of shrugged. Because I was like, I can't understand this God. I don't know how to be everywhere at the same time. I don't know anything. I'm not that wise. But when I started studying these for this week, there's that word, that one word that goes with all those things. What's the one word that's always attached to God? It's the only word in the Bible that is described to him three times in a row. Do you know what it is? Holy. He's holy in his power. He's holy in his wisdom. He's holy in his presence. God is not just holy. He is holy, holy, holy. That word scares us because that's a standard. You know what God wants you to be? Holy. Just keep saying holy. It'll be really good. He wants to be holy. He wants you to be perfect. And when I define that word, I described it two ways. I think holy is kind of this idea of majesty or grandeur or awe with a little dash of fear. Any of y'all ever been to a place or ridden really fast on a motorcycle and you were like, if this goes bad, I might die? That's majesty. That's grandeur. Any man of God or prophet that has come before the living God, our God that saved us by the blood of his son, that God, anytime they came before him, you know what they said? Oh gosh, I'm going to die. That's what they said. That God is majestic, is like, woohoo, if this goes bad, I'm going to die. That's holy. But that also, that word holy means that he is morally perfect. And this is going to make sense in a minute, I promise. So we can't start with you with holiness, right? Like anybody in here, I couldn't be like, Charles, perfect example of holiness. And if your name's Charles, I'm not really talking about you. Bob, Sue, Wilma, I don't care what your name is. If we start with you and go, teach us how to be holy, we'll get off. So we start with God and we go, okay, God, you're the perfect example of moral perfection, majesty, beautiful holiness. You call out to your creation, I want you to be holy as I am holy. Not Andrew holy, but God is saying that to you. How? How do we do that? And I think that topic of holiness, it produces some doubt, correct? Some of you have doubt about this because this is what happens. When I say you are to be morally perfect and holy like God, you're like, you feel like you're constantly climbing up a mountain and falling back down it. Some of you are in this room right now and you're like, yeah, you guys keep talking about holiness and don't be sinful, but I have it all the time and I'm constantly sure I don't know if this Jesus thing's working for me. And I want to remove that doubt today. I want to remove that doubt by looking at God's decrees through the prophet Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah, his declarations are rooted in the character and ways of God, the holiness of God. And so in Jeremiah 32, 17, I know I... I said that 18 minutes ago. Jeremiah is in prison. That's the context of the verse. The prophet of God has been thrown in prison because the people of God don't want to listen to it. 
he has said to them faithfully, this is what God wants from you. Repent of your behavior, of your worship of idols and your treatment of the poor. If you don't, the Chaldeans are going to come and they're going to wreck shop and take you into exile. They're like, shut up. We don't want to hear from you. You're false. Rome in prison. The Chaldeans are at the door. They're at the gate. They're going to tear the whole thing down just as God said he would. And in verse 17, you have Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping one, the one who's going to go into captivity with his people, going, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. And I like to bring up that he's in prison for, for really one reason. Following Jesus does not always equal wealth, health, or what would worldly be called happiness. But it does always equal purpose, life, and joy. And I just want to remind our hearts of that. As we follow Jesus in the next 20 years in this country, you will have to choose him. And it might not be wealth, being liked, or worldly happiness, but it will be everything that God is. Purpose, hope, joy, life. Okay, Jeremiah verse 17 of chapter 32. A sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. So a man is sitting in prison that has faithfully done what his God has told him to do, tell the people they need to repent. They've thrown him in prison, and the first words out of his mouth are what? You made everything, God. You're amazingly powerful, God. Nothing's too hard for you. So look what the Spirit of God does inside of man who's looking at God and not looking at him. If Jeremiah looks around, what is this circumstance that's going to make him do? Woe is me. The people don't like me. I can't believe I followed God. But what's he looking at? He's looking at God's character. He's looking at God's power. He's looking at God's wisdom. He's looking at who God is, and that makes him go, wow! His circumstances are bad, guys. His circumstances are real bad. In fact, I would say worse than probably anybody in this room. You might be having a dumpster fire of a day, or a life even, but it ain't that bad. You are not sitting in prison while a foreign army is tearing down the walls of the prison to take you into exile with the very people that put you in prison. You're not that bad, correct? Okay. So what are you looking at? I think there's a correlation when a people behold God. And I don't just mean kind of on surface level, like, what's he like? They behold him. They let the Spirit of God place in them an understanding and a revelation by the Word of God that he is everything. That's what comes out of your mouth. Oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing's too hard for you. That's a faith declaration. That's not a circumstance declaration. So right off the bat, the prophet Jeremiah, he's going to be our kind of kind of like our framework for how do we walk in this world as it gets tough, uh, even when we're doing the things that God wants us to do and is not paying out, what do we look at? Well, he looks at God's, God's, God, God is God over creation. He's like, God, you're God, the God over everything. Over everything made, God, you're the God of it. If you have a Bible, you could read Psalm 33. It says, the word of the Lord is upright in his work. All his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. So remember when I said you could find out what God loves and likes? 
God loves righteousness. God loves justice. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So kids, I got a question. Who created the earth? Who created you? Who created the deer? That's my kid. That's right. Pastor's kid. Wow. All right. So who created everything? And believe it or not, the answer to that question is debated in our world. Our answer is our God did. Now, how did he do it? Because this should create a little awe, a little like, whoa, it's like, I'm going to stand in fear in all of this God. When God created the heavens and the earth, how did he do it? By the breath, by his mouth, by he spoke it to be. He didn't have to flex. He didn't have to like push. He didn't have to groan. There was not a great struggle to create the heavens and the earth. He spoke. Let it be. And it was. And it was good. This is the language of the Bible. And so really when you start understanding God is the God over all creation, over all natural things, and he breathed it out. I mean, there's just things that should make us worship God that seem natural, but they're not. Like the rate of the earth spinning right now. The way that an embryo forms in the womb of a woman. The the way the structure of your eyeball and the complexity of it. Who made all that? God did. If I was like, here's some eyeball parts, put them together, see what happens. You know what happened? I'd have an eyeball back here and it would kind of be like this. But God is the God over all creation. Nothing is too hard for him. Literally, he's holding all the world in his hand. And I know that's a kid's song, but usually the kid's stuff is actually the good stuff. But he continues in verse 18, Jeremiah 32, verse 18. So he points to the God as the God of creation And he says, you show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. So his very first stop, sitting in prison, is God, you're the God of all creation. You have all the power Wow, you can, nothing's too hard for you. And then he starts to point, and God, not only are you in charge of all of that, you're aware of all the details going on right now, of all of mankind. He says, God, you're the God over all the details, over every detail. And there's a word like theologians use for God being the God over details. Do you know what it is? Providence. That's the word. You can write that down. You're like, Isn't providence a reformed thought? No, it's actually a biblical thought. That God is aware of not just the end point or the beginning point, but all the details that led to that point. So you ever had a moment where like you didn't get the job, but it led to the perfect job? You ever have that moment where you got really excited to go, I don't know, preach the gospel at this place, but when you got there, it didn't quite work out, but then it led to this moment where someone really met Jesus? That's providence. It's God is the God over all of the things, all of creation, all of nature, all of humanity, and over the details. This is like sovereignty, but like 
understanding it on a detailed level. We don't like sovereignty because we don't understand sovereignty, but I believe if I opened up a mic right now, which would be a little scary for some of you, and I said, tell me a story where God showed up in the details, I think everybody could give a story. Everybody could say, I really, I was really going this way and I was really planning out everything, but then, but then God, but then God did this thing and it led to this thing and it was so him. That's providence. That's God is the God over even the details of people's lives. And Jeremiah says, God is the God of the details over this foreign army, over me being in prison, over these corrupt, like, guys in leadership over Israel, God is the God of the details. He's aware of the, of the sins of the parents. He's aware of the purposes and deeds of people. He's aware of all the ways of mankind. So once again, your ways are not hidden from God. Some of you are sitting in this church and you think you are off God's radar. That's biblically not true. God is aware of you. God knows all the ways of mankind. He knows the hearts of men. He knows. And so when we look at God being in charge of our details, that should make me go, but why are so many of us freaking out most days? Where did the trust of the people of God go? And I think what happened is we have a God this big and we made him this big. Can I really trust him in the details? Yes. Is he really going to lead me into joy? Yes. Is he that good? Oh, yes. And Jeremiah doesn't stop. At verse 20, he says, You perform signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land you had sworn to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you commanded them to do, so you brought all this disaster on them. Now, that's a hard truth. Who made the foreign army show up at Israel's doorstep? God did. And I think this is a hard sell because we're like, well, is God vindictive? No. Is God unjust? Absolutely not. That's that whole idea of God is morally perfect in his will, in his wisdom, in his power, in his plans, in all that God does, morally perfect and holy. And so Jeremiah praises God for his providence, for his hand over all of the life of Israel. Anybody ever seen Prince of Egypt? The great animated classic. He points to that story. And he goes, God, you sent the plagues. And God, you hardened Pharaoh's heart. And God, you are the one that showed off your power. You're the one that got your people to the land that they're in right now. You did it, not people. And you're like, well, people were a, that people were a part of that, but who was over all that? God was. And he says, not only are you a part of the history of Israel, but you're like the essential element. If we didn't have you, God, we would not be in this city with these walls facing this army. All of it's you, praise God. That's Jeremiah's word. And not only that, but even in the details of 
if you know enough history, there's this moment where all the Jews get dragged out of their cities, the diaspora. They get dragged to foreign countries. So you know what Jews do really well? They congregate in synagogues. So they build synagogues all around the ancient world. Do you know the places that all the apostles visited first when they went to foreign towns? Synagogues. So the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out in all the synagogues of God's people that were dragged out of the cities in all the foreign places they were taken. That's some detail work you can't quite see unless you take a big view. So even God in that was like, all right, I'll use you guys. God is good, and God is seen as God over all the details of his people's life. God is the God over the details of your life. But then verse 24, he continues. He says, see how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, as you now see. So who said what was going to happen? God did. And did it happen? Sure did. So God says, I'm going to return one day, and I'm going to judge the living and the dead. Is that going to happen? Why? Because God said he was going to happen. God says, sin will condemn you to hell. Is that going to happen? How's it not going to happen? If I trust my, and put my faith in Jesus Christ. Because God said it would. See, everything's rooted in God's character, y'all. And don't make God small, make him big. God has spoken creation into existence and then has spoken what is good and pleasing to him and what is actually condemning and will send you away from him. And now we have this choice. Will I trust who God is? Will I make him everything the word says, holy, majestic, beautiful? Or I will belittle him and make him a little bit bigger than me, but he's not, he's way bigger and he's way better. And so he points to God being the ultimate decider of all these things, even over the reign and rule of men. God is the God. God is over the rule of men and women. So who, put, who puts presidents in office? And you're like, well, the people of the republic. Shut up. I didn't mean that. I did, but I didn't. Uh, biblically, who installs kings? Biblically, who's ruling over nations. Biblically, we are the people of God who are a biblical people, are we not? So God reigns over all mankind. There's no, I, there was this theologian that said there's not even a single atom, a single molecule outside of his rule. Nothing's out of order. There's nothing that God doesn't go, I rule over that, including presidents, kings, rulers. We love the idea in humanity of like unconquerable, amazing leaders. Those don't exist. They don't exist because we have a God that could just be gone. And they are gone. And this introduces some ideas to us that we're going to wrestle with. But like you can see in the Bible, like you, God comes to Pharaoh through Moses. Let my people go. That whole story. And I mean, Exodus 5, 2, Pharaoh is at the pinnacle of human history, right? The Pharaohs, the Egyptians, the pyramids, that whole society was the bee's knees. It was it. I don't even know what that means anymore. I probably shouldn't say that at church. But it, they were it. Technology, advancements. I mean, they, were, they considered their Pharaohs to be God. 
And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shows up to Moses and says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. In fact, I'm God. And God goes, hmm, let's see how that works out for you. And is the, I mean, that, that's gone. They're wiped from the face of the earth by 10 plagues. An angel of death comes and kills their firstborn. And Pharaoh broke and says, you can have your people now, God of the heavens. You look in the Bible at Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, right? This is a proud, big society. Nebuchadnezzar one day goes out in verse 31 of chapter 4 of Daniel, and he basically says out loud, look at what I've built for my glory. And the moment he says that, actually the Bible says not before the words came out of his mouth, a voice from heaven came. That's when you go, oh crap. I may have misspoken. And the voice of God says, because you have elevated yourself before the living God, above the one who really is the one who all this is for, you will be like the beast of the field. And God smacks this man, and he is eating grass, growing hair and toenails. Go read it. It's in the Bible. So we love the idea that there's these untouchable ones, these, these kings that can rule, these Napoleons in the world, but God goes, who rules over them? I do. That's what he says. And so God speaks over the kingdoms of the earth, and he goes, I reign over this. Whatever terrible situation you have, who rules over Africa? God does. Who rules over uh, Iraq? God does. This hot mess of like political disunity we have in America right now, who rules over it? God does. I'm not even going to make this a political sermon. Okay. Any authority, any authority on earth is given by God to people. The rubbing point for us is dictators, horrible human beings. Who put them there? Does that bug you a little bit? You're allowed to say, yeah, it bugs me. I'm like, how is that possible, God? How is it possible that you're letting this man just kill and murder his own people? And in the end, you're still in charge? Biblically, I have, I'm telling you, yes. God reigns and rules over all the details. And I think what we need to understand is, once again, we're outside of time. No, flip that. We're inside of time. God is outside of time. And all I can biblically say is that God is perfect in his moral perfection and holiness, even in these moments of, I don't understand, God. I don't understand how these kids dying in Africa is your goodness. I don't understand how this dictator doing that to his people. But you say all the things and ruling and mankind's dealings, you are over them. And I think I reconcile it this way with the biggest I think no one in this room, nobody in this room or on the earth, regardless of your belief in God or not, will not bring glory to God. Everybody in here will bring glory to God in some way. And you're like, what? Some of you, you will shake your fist at God the rest of your life. You'll fight him. But I know who wins in the end. And I know who will judge the living and the dead. Therefore, by God's justice being applied to your life, he will be glorified. Because the nations will go, he is just. 
others of us, and this is my prayer for all of us, I think this is God's desire for you, so you're not condemned. God's desire is to save you, that you might be a trophy of his grace. That God might pour out grace, love, forgiveness, and the the favor of God on you. To think that human beings can have that from that God should just, whoo. So which one are you gonna be? Everybody brings glory to God, even the wicked. In the end, even the wicked will go, there is only one name in heaven and earth, but where my men must be saved. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And on this earth, not every tongue will confess or bow, but in the end they will. Which that doesn't create a lot of pomp in us. That should create humility. That could create a mission for us to go in the name of the Lord and bring the kingdom of God and bring the light to dark places. And so God speaks this idea that I reign and rule and I'm over the details and I'm the God of creation through the prophet Jeremiah sitting in a jail cell and ultimately God speaks this whole thing over his covenant people. Flip over to Jeremiah 31, which is the earliest chapter before we started. Jeremiah 31, 27 to 28. I promise I'm almost done talking. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow and destroy and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and plant, declares the Lord. See, those two ideas seem polar opposite in us. That God's like, I'm gonna watch over you as I tear this whole thing down. I'm gonna tear the foundation down because I need to rebuild it. But when it comes to rebuilding, I'm gonna be there too and I'm gonna watch over it. So in the good and the bad, in the sowing and in the reaping, God's there. God's at work. And in verse 31, a little bit farther, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so you start to see the character of God even in his decrees of like, I'm gonna tear it down, but I'm gonna build it up and I'm gonna do a work in your heart. So if I tell you a word or a statement, can you write it on your heart? Do you have the ability to change your heart? No. The Spirit of God does. God can change hearts. God deals with souls. God deals with the spirit of a man or a woman. And so I think God looks over his covenant people, Israel, and goes, this is what I'm going to do. And I believe God looks over you right now, 2021, Oxford, Ohio, Cobblestone Community Church, and he goes, same thing. Look at me. This is what God's saying over you. I'm ruling over your life. And I want to put a new heart into you. And I want to take the law of God, the things that will please me and lead you into life, and I want to write them on there. Will you let me? And this is the word of the Lord, and I love it because you have to think, like, not only is he saying, I want to write that law, but, like, I deal with the details of your life, people of God. This is the God of heaven and earth. 
And sometimes I'm like, well, you must deal with some details, but you don't deal with this detail of my life because why'd you let that happen? You ever been there? We're going to real talk or not? This is the hard part about faith. God is beyond me. So I don't understand cancer, dead babies, or car wrecks, but I understand what the Bible says, that I can trust him all the days of my life. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a lot of questions, but his goodness has been made plain by the cross. And he has made a way for human beings that have defiled and made themselves sinful and love the darkness to come into the light and be made whole. All they have to do is say, God, will you save me? I repent of my sin and I choose your way now. That's it. It's not hard. It's exclusive, but it's for everybody. That's crazy, right? You only can come through Jesus but anybody can come. You only can come through Christ, but the whole earth could come if they wanted. But they're not probably going to, because biblically they're not. So the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God of heaven and earth, I mean, think about the rulers and the things he's ruling over right now. Think about the angels that he's giving orders to right now. Think about the people of God that he's aware of in China and things that they're doing while he's even present amongst his people in Oxford, Ohio. Think about every molecule, every atom that he is governing every cell of your body right now while governing the heavens and the earth. Now look at me. That's not hard for him. It's not tiring. It's not like he's like, oh, bother. I have to go deal with Grover again. Like that's not what he's doing. I don't think he's ever like, how, how in the world did they get like that? He's not ever like, oh, shocked that we did a thing. Nothing surprising him. You, God can breathe out the stars. What's he worried about in your life? And you see how when you elevate God, all of a sudden you're like, I can trust him every, you can trust him in every part of your life. And so when God's word declares over your life, walk in this way to be holy, we can trust him because he's higher, because he's better, because he's good, and he's I mean, omniscient, omnipotent, all those big words that I didn't really understand, but I'm starting to have the word of God like, reveal them to my heart. That I can trust God's wisdom over my own because he does know everything. That I can trust God to use his power appropriately, even if I'm like, well, I would have I healed them. I would have raised them from the, I would have, I would have. Well, the, the moment you start looking at the God of heaven and they go, I would have, you're getting really close to handshaking. So this all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God of everything, he is Lord over everything. I'm cutting parts out of my notes so we can quit. That God I'm going to do one last verse. If you would, just Ephesians 1, chapter 3. No, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 10. I want to read that over the people of God. And as we read it, I want you to get in, the, in your mind this God that we just talked about. All-knowing, all-powerful, present everywhere. He's saying this over you if you're in Christ. This is, this is truth. This is identity. This is, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Don't freak out about the word predestined. It just means predestined. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So hear me. Taking everything we just talked about, about who this God is, about who our God is, about what the Bible says he's like, that God uses all his power and all his might and all his wisdom. Look at me, people of God. And you know what he did? He used it all to make you holy, to declare over you holy, to make you like him, to make you holy and clean and able to come into his presence. That makes me just be like, that's like flop down on the, at the, on the couch at the end of the day. Whoa, I don't have, he did it? Praise God. Praise God that he takes away the sins of the earth. Like, praise God. He not only views me as holy positionally, so like I'm in Christ, so therefore I am holy. He's also making me holy. This process of the Lord sanctifying my heart and moving me and in the details of my life and God shows up in those quiet moments in the morning with his word and goes, you're not walking according to my word. He corrects because he's good and he's not only made me holy, he's making me. And so here's, here's, here's the last three words, rest or fight. You can either rest in this God, trust this God, or you can fight him the rest of your life. I guarantee you he wins. I guarantee you he wins. And some of us as the people of God need to come back into the rest of God. The work has been done. You can trust God all the days of your life, in plenty or in want, in sickness or in health. I go through a whole marriage vow. You can say that to God and trust him in all of it. And so that's where I want to end. I just want to pray almost like a vow, and then we're just going to run straight back into worship because this is the God that has saved us. So as the team comes up, can you just bow your heads, get in a place of prayer, maybe even a place of like, man, Lord, I, I want to see you rightly. Oh, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you went through great lengths to give us this book, which is not made by human hands, but that you spoke out by the Holy Spirit through prophets and kings. That through all of history, you rule over the details to not hide from us what your will is. And so we respond to your word. Let it cut us. Let it change us. May we not just hear it, but do it. And so, Lord, we come into you. you. 
you're called a strong tower that we run into and we're safe. Father, I ask for that revelation of your holiness, that revelation of your omnipotence, of omniscience, of omnipresence, that we would understand how big, powerful, good, and beautiful our God is. You are holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. And we submit as humans, as people, to you. Forgive us for pride. Forgive us for worry. We gladly come into your care and your leading. So the whole theme of today is just don't rush. So I'm going to sit you before the Lord and ask you to just start talking to your Savior again. Even talking to him about the word that you just heard and have him sift you and search your heart. And even if you're like, God, I wanna, I wanna trust you in a greater way, talk to him about it, he already knows. And then in a few short moments, we'll start singing. And I would encourage you to stay as long as you want. The prayer leaders will come back up here after this first song. If you're a parent, if you could go get your kids, tell them Andrew talked too much, that's fine. But we're just gonna spend the rest of today responding to the Lord listening to the Holy Spirit, praying for one another. That's it. So Jesus, have your way in these moments that come after this right now. We worship you. We love you. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless. Yeah.